0: Hello, clinicians, and hello, my peers. We are back for another episode of the Becoming Healers podcast. I hope you're ready. I hope you're excited. It's episode five. Can you believe it? We're working through the season, and it's flying by. I can't believe it. Thank you for taking time to journey with us through this season. I truly hope that the content we're delivering to you and the conversations myself, Venetia, and Precious are having are valuable to you. Please engage us on social media. Share this content so people can engage it. Like and subscribe so people know about the that we're doing, and most importantly, take a moment to reflect on how this can add value in your world in your circles. Tell us about the topics you want us to cover, and the other emotion was you think we are missing in these dialogues that are valuable are important. We want to be able to hear from you our very valuable audience. We spent a while thinking about how to put this season forward to you, so we really would value your input and value your contribution to this conversation. But let's get right into it. Today's topic is a little bit tough and you'll find that the episode is that little bit longer. So please do spare your ears. I promise you it's going to be worth the listen and I know it's going to add a lot of value to you. Today we're talking normally I'm wounded. Ooh, Tough one, but I know you're going to make it. Let's keep doing the work of immersing ourselves in trying to understand how we can empower ourselves with better vocabulary to navigate mental health so that we present ourselves as stronger, better, well-equipped humans in the spaces we need to deliver productivity, excellence, and value so that we have a healthcare system we want to see. Let's enjoy this conversation. Ladies, welcome to it. It's episode four of this podcast. Can you believe it? Like, no, it's five. It's five. <laughs> it's episode five. Can you believe it's we crazy. are five? crazy. Episodes in. It's been really, really meaningful. I mean, for me personally and otherwise to have these conversations with you. And I just want to take a moment to reflect. I mean, episode one, we spoke about languishing. Then we moved on to, you know, unpacking burnout and, and the challenges of being overwhelmed. Then we unpacked, you know, some of the physical manifestations of our mental health, like chronic fatigue. And more recently, we spoke about, you know, the grit and the tenacity that comes with this profession. In your own words, just as a moment of reflection, what has it meant for you to be a part of these conversations and and what are some of the things that you're taking away that you're already implementing in your worlds
1: so i I will go i I think for me, it's been educational to reflect, but I also think hearing other perspectives and that's something that's valuable I think in the mental health space is perspective and because your perspective can be debilitating sometimes. So for me, that's been the biggest takeaway and I've enjoyed almost on a weekly basis reflecting on these different things that have affected me personally as well in the workplace.
2: Yeah. I think i definitely like to echo that. I think it's, it's, it's been so educational, so informative. And also like because I, work with medical students or like I do things like for them this has been very helpful in my idea okay what what do you really need what kind of conversations are valuable what is needed it's not just like you do these webinars or talks in like pre-covid where you do one talk and it should just cover everything and I think it's that conversation that constantly needs to be had
0: and that's valuable. So powerful. I think for me, I agree with both of you guys, but also just an opportunity to be challenged about the way I think and see this environment, think about and see this environment. I think for me, that's been so invaluable because like you said, Precious, you know, perspectives can sometimes be really unhelpful and it's been Mm -hmm. so valuable to 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 find different different means to to solve solve common problems or to just think about a different way. So thank you ladies for your investment and thank you to, I mean, the organizations organisations which you both represent that constantly work towards supporting the mental health of healthcare workers. So shout out to SADAG and Frontline Refuge for the work behind the scenes that we don't see and then for the extra time you're giving us on air. We really appreciate you both. So let's kick into this episode. So today the topic is a little bit tender, I think. It's titled, Normally I'm Wounded. And I want to kick off with a question. Do you remember your first emotional wound in the healthcare sector? And if you're willing to share, what, what was it and what happened? If you guys are thinking I can go, I remember mine vividly. Please go. <laughs> yes, please. I remember I mine mean. vividly. <laughs> I mean, so I was, I think what when I was reflecting on this, what was really sad was that it happened in medical school. So I was in medical school and, you know, It was OSCE time, and, you know, so OSCE is when you're preparing to go and do an oral and, yeah, getting ready to go and see the patient. And the way it was set up at my university was it would be a week, so different people got different slots. And you obviously rotating in the same discipline, and I was uh, in a specific discipline, and OSCEs were happening that week, but mine was the last day. One of my peers was having his OSCE had his book, so the textbook, in his in his white coat pocket and saw me clocking a patient in the morning, just, you know, seeing my patient. Opened the curtain and asked me to come and examine that part of the body for him because he just wanted to confirm. And I was like, no, aren't you in your ASCII? That's like serious cheating. So I didn't do it. On my ASCII day, however, <laughs> I got a patient who didn't want to talk to me. And, um, as I was seeing the patient, she kept telling me, read the file, read the file. Now, in my mind, that's cheating. The diagnosis in the file, all the doctors have seen the file. I wouldn't do that. Didn't read the file. Got my examiner to come in, got the diagnosis, and there was sort of speak around how you know how well you're doing and ask you depending on the questions they ask you. So at that stage, it was still important to be asked, you know, signs and symptoms. And because of how I'd performed and what I've identified, they proceeded to ask management questions. So I thought, no, I'm doing really well. Come a week, uh, actually, and I'm told by the, by the, by the examiner that I did really well. A week passes and myself and my clinical partner are called in because it's been assumed that we've cheated. There's absolutely no way people at our level could have gotten that type of diagnosis. Mind you, I think race played an important matter in that context. So, I mean, that's my opinion and my assessment. But just having been told that I couldn't achieve what I had, a week later, after being told I'd done well, it was really confusing. So that was one of the first. And in that same year, I remember being on my first ward round and the first question I got asked by a consultant was, have you done this before? And I was like, what are you insinuating? Are you insinuating that I failed or that I repeated? And he said, no, because you do this really well, because you speak really well. Like, but that's got nothing to do with, <laughs> that's got nothing to do with anything. Like I'm a trained public speaker. I'm taught how to present things as if I know what I'm doing. That's got nothing to do with the fact like of whether I do or don't. So I think those were two moments that definitely set my mind in a different way around uh, my peers and my context and made it very challenging to 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 trust that people were there to sometimes genuinely teach me or even hone the potential that they saw in me because at the first opportunity I was questioned. So those are my wounds, my first emotional wounds. Wow.
2: I think for me it was so being like being that person that speaks to a lot of medical students, right? And I had this one medical student who I was doing a talk to, and she opened up, like was in the talk. There must have been, I think, like maybe 40 people in the room and I was doing this talk and we were talking and we we're having interactions and we we're doing this Q and a after the talk. And she actually opened up to say that, you know, like, and and that really struck me. That was like one of the first time I realized that medical students really need that sort of mental health support. Mm-hmm. They really need, you know, that, that space where they can open up and speak, which they're, they're not always given, not because, they don't want it or no one thinks about it, but because they don't have the time for it. And I think that's, mm. uh, she actually, she shared the fact that she loved, you know, she always wanted to be a doctor. This was her aspiration. This was something that she's always wanted since she was young. And sadly she experienced a little bit of anxiety and it wasn't about the workload. It wasn't about the university. It wasn't about, it was external Yeah, You know, it's the finances, it's the family life, it's the expectations people put on you. And I think the way she spoke just made me realize so much and it touched my soul because I was like, you want this so badly and you're willing to give your all to it. Mm -hmm. But there's so many other factors that is impacting you. And that's important to, I think, point out that there are other factors, whether you're you know, a doctor. Whether you're a student, whether you're a registrar, whether you're an intern, there's so many different factors, and we forget that that what that's what makes us human. But we shouldn't lose that passion. And I think every time I ever talk to medical students, I always remember that because it's something that really, like, it touched me just in the way that she spoke.
0: Sure, it's tough man, precious. <laughs>
1: This question, honestly, <laughs> I needed an hour to just really think about it. This is really, almost encapsulates that death by like a million paper cuts because I'm trying to go back to the first paper cut. But I right. think I don't have an acute memory of the first time, but I think my initial interaction, and I'll also go back to medical school, I think my initial negative experience was actually probably in the classroom Um, and for me it was for the first time feeling invisible and feeling as though the people teaching me didn't want to teach me because of the space that I occupy because of who I am and it took me a really long time to understand what I was feeling and what was happening. And, you know, I would start to notice it with small things, you know, for example, me saying a certain answer, if a question is asked, that answer isn't correct or isn't validated. But if someone else who looks different from me says the exact same thing, then the answer is correct. Yeah. Or when we have assessments, and this happened frequently to me where I had to, you know, have my marks changed for certain assessments yeah. because I look at the memo and I look at my colleagues' script and my script, and there's certain questions where you answer exactly the same thing, but you get, you know, the five out of five for that question, or the ten out of ten for that question, and I get a two out of five. You know, and essentially like my whole, all of my whole mark is now 60, but then when you go and interrogate it, it's actually 75. How does that happen? And, you know, and you feel, especially if you don't interrogate that, it it makes you start feeling inadequate or incompetent or, you know, all of of these things. And then you realize actually we are saying the same thing, but your opinion and your value in the space is deemed as higher than mine. And I think that was the first instance for me of being wounded. Yeah.
0: Sure. Sorry, guys, for taking you to those hard places. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but I think but it's no, important I knew- to move. <laughs> no, I think, and I, and I think I, I just thought about something, and I was like, that actually is not a nice space to be in because often – not all personalities or all people will actually say, I'm going to go to the lecturer or go to the person or go, you know, sort of ask. Yeah. And that's a big thing because you don't, not everyone's the same. Not every student's the same. No. A lot of, some of us will just be like, swallow, continue. That's it. Yeah. Most of us, I and, would and say most. Often, it's, it's a hard conversation to have. It's 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 a hard conversation.
0: And I think it's, firstly, I think I commend your integrity and I think courage is another one. Um, to stand up for what you believed in, you know, in that environment, because I think in those situations, particularly for students, shout out to the students who are wrestling these problems still. So it's, we're so sorry that in 2021 this is still your life, but I think it's, it's a, it's important to trust your intuition. And I think at that tender age and in that place where you really see yourself as less than because you're you're nowhere near what the people above you have for a number of reasons, right? For a number of reasons. It's so easy to assume you're wrong. So I think the fact that, you know, you were able to trust that, no, but you're not crazy (laughs) and this needs to be (laughs) rectified is so important and so encouraging. And that helps me, I think, lean into the second part of this question as relates to question one is, Given that that was the basis, I'm sure there have been, as you said, death by a million cats. There have been a million more that you just learned to to move over, right? And I really want to dig into the question is, how have you been able to move past those wounds? And, and do you think that the moving past of the wounds was just a, a survival mode thing? Or did you actually have a way to get through the wound or even to recognize that it was?
1: I think for me... Yeah. I, looking at med school, I'll break it up into segments, looking at med school, I was just moving, just breathing through the wound, um, (laughs) just moving, trying to get through it and not trying to dig too deep into what's going on and all of that. And probably like in fifth year, sixth year was when I had to dig deeper and because it was starting to affect me, I think it does sometimes affect you and your identity, your sense of self. If you are being Mm. grinded down slowly, you know, and starting to believe you're someone you're not. So for me in fifth and sixth year, I had to come face to face with that. And so initially how I was dealing with it was just moving, like just keeping a low profile, you know, doing my thing, um, knowing my work. And then eventually I got to a place where I had to define myself outside of that space But then also look at it from an objective point of view. Where are the areas where I'm actually not competent? Because it does happen where you are wrong and you are not competent at something. When is that moment? When does that occur? And who have I identified as people who give feedback that's productive in that sense? And then looking at my strengths as well. So that's how I started to move through that wound when I was in med school and I think now similarly it's hard though to look at sometimes your work or your space and think that you don't know something but I've become more comfortable with not knowing and not looking at that as a sense of failure for me I think that's how I yeah. move through that love that V in your experiences I think that's
0: that's
2: I think it's, I think it's, I think it's just, I mean, I think learning how to deal with certain things and learning how to manage something obviously is, and I always say this, and I think it's something that I say more often now than ever before, is that everything takes time. You know, like, I mean, we all expect, and I know when I do my talks, I always say this, I'm like, I know when I say things and I say, you know, you can do this and you can do this and Try this. And I know I say it like it's going to be like that. It's a flick of a switch. I know that I say it like that. And in the talk, literally, I'll be like, guys, I know I'm saying it like it's easy, but it's not. It's an everyday change. It's an everyday learning experience. It's, you know, trying to change yourself to sort of build yourself up into something that you want to be, but still remain authentic. And I think being wounded often... As much as we want to say, you know, it's it's hard and it's painful, but it's somewhere along the line, we have to then gather that and say, okay, give ourselves time to heal just a little bit so that we can say, okay, what are we going to do about it so that we can heal enough that we know where we are. And to protect ourselves in the future, but also set up those boundaries and be okay if you have that negative criticism that comes to you. It's easier to say than done. Like, absolutely. Like, by no means that's easy. But I think it's something that, you know, to build resilience is a real thing right now. It's, It's within this COVID space, it is commendable to just be able to say if something bad happens, you know what, I'm going to take a step back, I'm going to try and manage this, and I'm going to do my best to continue and say, okay, what am I going to do next? Even if that means taking a break from something. Exactly. Even if it means that. Even if it means that. And I think that goes for across the board.
0: Oh, absolutely. I love what you said, both of you, as usual. And yeah, (laughs) I also just wanted wanted to touch on something you said about time, because I think... You know, when those incidents happened to me, my goal was just to get out. I was like, let me just leave. <laughs> let me just get out. <laughs> okay, and then when I'm out, I'm never going to have to account to myself or represent, misrepresent myself or have my integrity, you know, questioned this way again. And I think how that played out for me was two parts. I really did think uh, the escape and the time would heal the wound. And I think that's something I wanted to comment on about how like you said, building resilience. There is, I think, an effort you need to put into, to recognizing that there is a wound and it's not going to heal itself. And I think that's a mistake I made. I thought that leaving would change the problem. But instead, um, I found myself actually reacting to, you know, that negative feedback by trying to be the worker bee and really just identifying myself as the, the goal you could never outwork. And that's a, I mean, I enjoy work, so it wasn't difficult, I don't think, but in hindsight, um, that's also where I, I learned how to not set boundaries, and I learned how to actually dishonor myself because of of that wound that I didn't pay attention to, or at least assuming that time would patch it up. So I think there's something to be said about, yes, having the time to deal with it, but actually using the time to do that, not just to, to escape the wound. So thank you, ladies, for that. And I just wanted to to highlight also the definition, or at least a synonym for the word wound is injury. And I think there's a lot of injured soldiers in the healthcare sector amongst an injured sector, right? And this helps me sort of segue into another thought I want us to unpack. So, to those of you who do not know her, please do get to know her. She's Dr. Randy Lamphal, better known as Dr. Motivation. She recently posted something on social media, a question that I want us not to answer the question, because I don't think that's the contents of this episode, but maybe to use the thought process to to really... Unpack the layers of wounds that may exist in the separate environments. I've got a few themes I'm, I'm going to ask us to tackle. So essentially, just for the people listening, she posted and she she made a statement saying that you know the the quality of healthcare professionals, or of doctors in particular, and the standard was dropping. And that was something she was concerned about because she'd noticed, you know, when she compares herself and she compares her journey in internship versus how people are doing internship today, there's some unmet expectations from seniors' sides and that she thought it was a critical issue that needed to be addressed. And I thought, as I saw people's responses on the stories, there were so many layers and levels to the challenges that I think are applicable to the wounds we experience in this healthcare sector. And the two themes I can think of are interpersonal and institutional. And I think we've both or all spoken to some of the senior, junior wounds that exist. But I want us to touch on what do you think are some of the critical peer-to-peer wounds that currently exist in this space and how are you dealing with them on a day-to-day basis? And I think this is important because in our context wounds are like like you said, it's 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 breathing through the wound, right? you constantly expose the people who are either wounding or to the environment that's wounding. And that building resilience is important, but before that comes identifying where the wounds are coming from. I think it'd be worth it'd be valuable spending some time to understand how we do that from a peer-to-peer basis, from a senior to junior basis. And then I think the one we spoke about at length so far, student to to senior professional or doctor perspective. So yeah, maybe let's kick off with the peer-to-peer wounds. How are we contributing to our wounds in the current context? I think if I think about
2: mental health support, if I think about really talking about mental health support, like I mean the long hours, the mm. you know the the amount of workload, amount that you know the workload is, the amount that's expected from a a student, a doctor, a you know, registrar within that hospital is that peer-to-peer is almost like, is there that support? And I think often when, when a, when a, and I want to say the word and I've lost it, but like when a supervisor hasn't been supported in mm. their space, you're often not sharing the, the, the support to, you know, your person that you're supervising. So I think often that's where almost like a continuation of the lack of support continues and that creates that wound. So it's like wound versus I'm giving another person a wound because the sport is not there. And then it's continuing that train. Yeah.
0: So just the the the, the lack of leadership and awareness learning. almost. Yeah.
2: It's that awareness. You know it comes down to like you know are you aware that this person is not doing okay? Like are you noticing those warning signs like yes okay they've worked a you know like they're busy with all of their work but have you noticed okay this person's clearly not sleeping or this person's clearly not eating or this person's clearly not doing well just in general and i think that's where often that breakdown might come
0: i love that precious see you deep in thoughts So deep <laughs> or very annoyed at my question <laughs>
1: I'm not, um, I just think that Manisha was triggering some thoughts there. I think I'll actually start with the last thing I was hearing her say about being aware. And I think there's two sides of that coin, because there's self-awareness and then there's the awareness of, you know, the people around you. And I think it's challenging to be aware of what other people are going through, because they don't know to show it. And even when they do, I think it's difficult to um, help to sort of reach out and help that person. Um, I do think that we need a mechanism for not reporting, but red flagging people so that someone who's a little bit more objective and experienced can help in containing what it is that you are seeing. Because if someone has a drug problem, if someone has Mm -hmm. a mental illness Like, what are you actually going to do about it? In reality, what skills do you have to contain that person? That's the first thing. Obviously, peer support does help, but I do think that some things are above an individual's capacity. And then I also think with self-awareness, it's important because you are harming other people around you sometimes in ways that you might not know, especially if you're not self-aware. So you might be propagating injury to other people and then I would also say that you know everyone always says leave your work at home I mean leave your home yes. life
0: leave your, at leave home. Home yes. you.
1: yeah 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 <laughs> leave, yes. leave it out of work right and I think yeah. it's 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 relevant because we need to get the job done but I also think that it's important to view people holistically and realize that they have other facets to them that they do have issues in their lives. Sometimes someone might be going through something that doesn't pay their quality of work. And it's nice to know that you are working with human beings that understand difficulty um, and adversity. So yes, I might not be you know, performing at 100% now, but maybe in two weeks I will be. And now I just need that patience and that time. And I think that that happens quite often. And people feel so much pressure that they can't speak about it. And then I would also say being open-minded about understanding everyone's timeline and goals in terms of their own individual careers. I think that Mm -hmm. in medicine, we have a tendency of putting everyone onto one train track and expecting that we're all going in the same place at the same time. And if you're not, what are you doing? So I think just understanding everyone's passions and goals and viewing everyone as valid just because someone wants to be a GP and you want to be a neurosurgeon it doesn't make their purpose any less valid than yours so I think those are a few of the points that I would say from a peer-to-peer level we could improve I love that
2: actually the fact that you said that like people think that that timeline
1: Mm. is
2: so relevant like you have to be at this age you have to have done that it's supposed to take you X amount of years, and you have to be here. Mm. You have to take, and I think that's so. It, it doesn't. It's not for everyone, and I think it's so important to know that we're all human. We're all unique, and our journeys are completely different. Exactly, you'll never be the same like your friend that you left high school with. It's never gonna be the same, and if it was, then we would all be robots. Quite <laughs> the same. yeah, we would. We would literally be robots. We wouldn't have authentic selves. We wouldn't have personalities that are so different, that take things in differently, that behave differently, and also, you know, show that compassion because we wouldn't be that thing.
1: Yeah. Quite literally,
0: I think you guys are spot on. There was something I was going to touch on. I think when you're speaking about the peer-to-peer awareness, one of the things that I struggle with and struggled with and maybe in thoughts still struggle with is that everything happens at the extreme. So you only know somebody's struggling when it manifests that you know they're struggling with alcohol. It manifests that.
1: Yeah, Um, they're decompensated. um,
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think it, it speaks to the fact that either at an institutional level or at a senior to junior level, there just is no space for the person in the profession at all. Like, oh, there's only room for you to bring the professional, and realistically speaking, that's not, as you said, how we show up. Um, and so we chronically perpetuate that by also having the expectation that home stays at home, and not not asking people as simple questions like, oh, how's your kid? How's your baby? Like, somebody comes back from maternity leave, and you're not like, oh, show me your pictures. Let's spend five seconds just seeing. You know, you're just like, okay, you're on call tomorrow, um, and you keep it <laughs> moving, <laughs> And you punish them for being on maternity for four months um, or for having had to deal with the, the loss of a family death by giving them all those extra calls. So um, I think, you know, the wounds are perpetuated by just not having real support systems in the way we work. So never mind just amongst each other, but backup plans is a bad word, but just like uh, real support for the real things that happen in life that just tend to not not go away. And I mean I think what's really sad is this is a decade old problem. And in twenty twenty one we still have technicians complaining about those challenges. So that's hard, but I think the the importance is bringing the the conversation to the force so that people can think about how at a personal level they can strive to be a better colleague. Maybe this question to ask at a personal level, how in the midst of those challenges do you strive to be a better colleague? Like what do you do? that that makes the environment just a little bit better so that you're making sure you're not contributing to a wounding society.
2: That actually makes me think about something. It's, you know, like recently I've been doing this exercise where in my, like when I do a presentation or I do a talk, especially to students, I actually ask them questions. So like, what do you do to self-care? What is it that's stressing you out? And when all of these students and all of these, you know, attendees share, they understand that, oh, you know, like Peter is also experiencing this. I'm also experiencing this, you know. This person also does this for self-care. Oh, my goodness, I can also try that, you know. So it's, I think, very, very valuable in that way because the way they're sharing is valuable because it's like it's not like only me I'm doing this. And now I might be taking time out, if that makes sense.
0: I love that. I really, really do. I think it's so important. And I think you're highlighting to something that that we're really all trying to highlight, just, just making room. Making room to accommodate people.
1: Precious for you? I think I'll go back to the same point of self awareness. And I think having compassion for people. I think it's very easy when people are not performing at work to get upset, especially like when people build a reputation for themselves in that regard. It's easy to get upset when you have more work to do as a result. And so I think just being a bit more conscious of that and giving people the the benefit of the doubt, (laughs) the giving people the benefit of the doubt, um, or the benefit of of being a human being before jumping to thinking that ah this person is lazy or ah this person you know yeah I think that's how I could be a better colleague self awareness fixing my issues and then having that compassion
0: see now this is so important maybe this is because personally these are thoughts I'm working through on my own but I think like I hope this, I say this properly. I absolutely agree with you that there's value in having self-awareness so you can, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the person before you. But two things at play here, anger and conflict, right? One, I think we don't actually give ourselves room to be angry when we are wounded. Anger is a negative emotion and the way most of us deal with it is try, is to try to never be angry. That's probably in my mind now not healthy and just not realistic. Two, The real goal of conflict is correction, at least in my mind. The reason why we clash is because there's an opportunity to agree on a different way of doing things. It annoyed me that you folded the... or you don't put the toilet seat down at home. You have that moment of conflict because there's a way you prefer to have things done. There's a way someone sees it that doesn't make sense. Now you both have to agree on a better way. And I think particularly in the work environment... In those moments when somebody is behaving in a way that compromises you and you get angry, surely you should be given the permission to resolve that emotion and to address that conflict in a way that brings resolution. And I think when we're too, when when we're sometimes too humanitarian about it, for lack of a better term, (laughs) like we don't give ourselves, yes, we don't give ourselves the opportunity to acknowledge what's here. So I think there's room for anger. And I think, you know, mental health conversations that don't acknowledge the reality of anger as an emotion and teaching us how to deal with it positively rather than negatively is actually, it's unrealistic teaching. Like we we are not going to go through this world and not get angry, but we do have the power to to choose our response in anger. So I'm not saying go back on that (laughs) person, but I'm also not saying... Don't say you're you're you upset. You're not upset. Like I don't get angry at all. But I definitely recall one call where I walked up to someone and I was just like, "Do that again to me again," and I swear. <laughs> And the way I dealt with the anger was I didn't leave it at him. So I went to the registrar on call and I said, this is the conversation I had with your intern because this is a call that I had with your intern. And as a result, my decision is I'm not going to see your ward because your intern slept while I was cutting caesars, seeing casualty and, 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 and. So I made my rage clear to the team to say I've carried my load. I'm moving on, and I'm not going to allow you to hurt me anymore. Now I'm upset. And literally the reg is like, completely understand your position. I'll sort it out. So I think it's important as well, even in our self-awareness, to make room for the tensions that come and teach each other how to respond in ways that are productive, but that also honor your boundaries. Because I thought for me in that moment it was important to honor my boundary and to show someone when they'd violated it in a way that was
1: constructive. And I think, like, coming off of that, for me, I am not saying that you shouldn't have your emotion and your anger and that you shouldn't confront someone about something that they've done that is clearly wrong. But I do find that sometimes it tends to be almost a trend of othering certain colleagues where where you know people speak about a certain colleague behind their back about certain behaviors and I don't think that it's productive and it's not always um, analyzed as to why does this person do this why does this person behave in this way that we can all see so and that takes compassion because you are angry at that person you are upset about what they are doing. But sometimes, and it's not all the time, there are some people who are just lazy and inconsiderate, but sometimes it does come from another place. And that takes a level of stepping back from the situation. Yeah. And I Thank think you anger, clarifying.
2: I promise you, when I was thinking about anger and when you said that, like, you know, that we need to be, it's, it's okay to get angry at something. But it's okay to, you need to then be able to say, okay, I'm angry at this. I'm not, I'm not angry at this. You know, I, I gave this one example and it just came to me now because I've been giving it examples in my talks. Like you will not believe now because I think it's valuable to give examples because people relate Mm, to the example. example. So I gave this example where this person was like super angry at, you know, work's going bad. The internet's bad. Everything is just not working in the day. And then they angry at that, right? And then they go to the kitchen and they see this dirty dish. Yeah. <laughs> and goodness me, will that us just around. be the tipping point. And it will just be like, but you're taking out the anger. It's a small thing. We all understand. It's a small thing. But that tipping point often gets most of the anger because during the day, you haven't dealt with it. But it's sitting here. It's like sitting on your head and it's there. And then that one dirty dish and then whether it be your husband or your Mm. child, you're often going to get angry with them, you know, instead of being like, okay, this anger is not supposed to be here. So I think when you do feel angry, it's so right to just, you know, be like, okay, I am angry and it's okay that I'm angry, but what am I going to do about it? And I think it's just a habit. It needs to be a habit that you create with yourself. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. that's yeah. self-awareness. Yeah. That's understanding yeah. who I am, where I am, and also creating the boundary because it's not fun to get that angry and react badly and then have to after that say, Oh my goodness, I feel guilty for being that angry and, and taking it out on someone else.
0: But the problem is most people who do it that way don't say they're guilty. <laughs> that's also part of no, the problem.
2: No, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. But, but, but often they would feel it. I mean. But, yes. You don't always want to, they don't want to say it, but they often would feel like, oh, goodness, I've actually, you know, I've just lashed to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And I think no, that's where anger, anger becomes, destructive. becomes
0: destructive. I love where this is going. So basically we've uncovered that the emotion behind being wounded is often anger, but it makes me also want to ask a separate question. So does that mean then in, particularly in the, in the work environment I thought of a phrase where I was just like, okay, so does anger warrant confrontation or conversation? Because I think oftentimes we use anger as an excuse to confront, but the confrontation is really often very like you're going back on one person and then they're left with the pieces. Whereas if we agreed that like any other emotion, the real path to clarity, to resolution is just calm conversation then surely anger should have the same premise. Anger can make you confrontational and it can make you aggressive, <laughs> but maybe a better, a better agreement is to agree that even when we do get angry in those environments, the right response is just to, to go back to the core principles of engaging people and managing relationships and having clarity in conversation and, and doing it properly, like setting the times, can I please speak to you, uh, we had this experience on this date. Let's reflect on it, about it, and let's agree in a different way, as opposed to maybe what I did. I was like ta ta ta, and I only ever did that once, <laughs> which I'm proud of. <laughs> but in my, I mean, yeah, maybe not even in my defense, but I mean that type of approach is definitely it's unproductive and it leaves the other person without an opportunity to react because what are they supposed to do? Shot back. That's That's the the thing. thing. And sometimes they do.
2: (laughs) And sometimes they do. And then it just escalates. Yeah. And then you're left with, like, two very wounded people.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And wounded at many levels, right? Like you said, the um, disappointed in themselves. So the guilt, the shame. And then, you know, in their minds, I think the, the lack of honor amongst their peers, you know. Uh, lack of trust, like, okay, this is somebody you're not safe around emotionally ever. Uh, don't ever make mistakes around X person because they're going to go back out with you. And I think we've seen it. We've seen that paralyzing fear that comes around certain colleagues because of how they react under certain situations. It, it, it spills over into people trying to be hyper-perfectionists around certain people because, I mean, if you didn't write the notes this way then the world round is going to be a complete disaster. And you're literally afraid at night because (laughs) the blood chart is not on the first page (laughs) of the file. (laughs) But those are, and I mean, those are things that are important because they bring order. But the way people react when they're not in the order, it's also something that they could be aware about in terms of the environment they set for their teams. That's deep, man.
1: It is. I think it's also, it takes emotional intelligence and it really does like yes
0: that's why
1: i always draw it back to self-awareness because you know what you are like when you're angry some people are very good at having a conversation in the moment that they are angry yeah and then there are some people where you know i'm one of those people where i know i need to take a step back i need to think about it and come back to you and tell and summarize right and you need to know which one of those two people are you because it comes into play especially like let's say you're a consultant now and people won't do things the way that you like unless you show them orientate them or a moment happens where they don't do it how do you respond in that moment Instead of dumping all of this anger on someone in the moment, sometimes you just have to say, you know what? I'll speak to, to this person by themselves after this ward round. Instead of in front of everyone, just being, you know, roaring like a lion so that everyone can see how angry I am. Um, and that takes emotional intelligence. Because that also
2: reduces, like, I mean, confidence in that person. Exactly. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, and that goes back to even when you said, like, when, when the, you know, the exact, with the, with the answers were the same, you know, it come, it goes back to that. Like, okay, so I'm at this space. I'm not at this space, but I can see my answers are at this space. So it often creates that, that similar, you know, like you don't want to rock the boat mm. because this is what you're going to get. Exactly. And I think it comes down to that supportive structure instead of saying, wah, 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 you can yeah. be like, okay, you know, this is wrong, but this is why this is wrong. So, and this is why we do this in this way. Often when you explain to people, and I always say Ooh, this, I say often when you can explain to people, why do I like things a certain way? I mean, that's often how I train a lot of my counselors. I, I make them understand, or I allow them to understand why why Van needs things in a certain way. It's because it makes it easier for me to actually then report back. It makes it easier for me to manage certain things. So it's just about explaining why this should be done this way. And they often understand. And when they understand, they'll do it like that without making too many mistakes, you know, because they understand it. It's, 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 com- it almost becomes a common
1: sense situation. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: I love that. And I think it also goes back to just, That what you were saying and what you've been echoing, precious, this idea of self-awareness, even you, V, and just remembering that, like, nobody wakes up in the morning with the intent to make you angry. No, it was on no one's to-do list. Sometimes (laughs) it feels like this to make you angry. (laughs) It was on no one's to-do list for the day to wound you, and even for yourself. You know, when you reflect on the moments when you may have been inflictor or villain in the situation. Just giving yourself permission to recognize that you may not have had the intention, but you're human and the experiences or the circumstances led you to that place. So what does it look like to take a few steps back, reassess the situation, go back and as required, maybe it's required all the time, apologize for, you know, how you expressed yourself in the situation and honor the work commitment and move forward. But I think it's important what you highlighted is just being self-aware because if we think about the person and, and if it was us on the other side, you know for a fact it wouldn't have never been intentional. But like you said, Precious, unfortunately, particularly in the work environment when people have established their reputation of being the person who disappoints, of being the person who inconveniences, then it becomes very easy for them to carry that label and it actually becomes hard for them to wind themselves out of that place you know we label each other very easily i mean even now if you think of colleagues and you think of you know who's a good colleague who's a bad colleague it's probably one experience you had with that one colleague and you've labeled them x and that's how they'll be forever to you (laughs) no matter how how many how how much they redeem themselves or how much they improve over time Um, so i think those are important things you've highlighted so many wounds and i think we only got to speak to the wounds interpersonally in this episode which is huge. But maybe from a, a top level perspective, what are you what are the wounds you think exist at a like a sectoral or an industry level that are affecting us on a day to day basis? I'm happy to go first. I think the one is the lack of leadership. I think it's self explanatory. It's it just is there sometimes. And that doesn't mean that people aren't trying to lead. I think it just means that people don't have a common vision to center themselves around and it makes it difficult to lead people who have different ideas about what a good standard of anything is. An expectation. Expectation.
2: Expectation. It's like that expect, and each person, as you mentioned, has, if they don't have that common vision, so there's no common expectation. There's no common, you know, space that, okay, this is the standard. This is what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Or this is what what it should be in its entirety. And then you're having expectations based on experience. It's- individual experience. So if I've experienced this in a certain way, I'm going to have those expectations of those that are then, you know, I'm supervising or that's under me. Yeah. And that often... Sort of just triples down, not always positive, I mean it can be positive, it definitely can be oh when it's, it's positive
0: it's memorable if, exactly <laughs> but,
2: but if it's not it's just as memorable if it's not because true. then it actually creates a it it creates that that negative almost like a ne- negative coping skill mm-hmm. that, that's what it great. creates it creates that like works. almost a negative coping skill so now you're becoming. And I don't want to use resilient in a bad way, in a negative way. But you're becoming resilient in not a good way. So using the negative coping mechanisms, but then continuously, and then that sort of ends up quite yeah detrimental.
0: You're wounding yourself.
2: Yes, because you're going to constantly have those expectations of yourself, of others. It goes into personal life when you when it's at work, if it's at home, then it goes into your work life. So it's a huge mix. I wanted to say mix masala because you know, <laughs> but
0: yeah,
2: you know what I'm saying. So you can say it. This <laughs> what, is a South mixed African masala, Emotions <laughs> and just like all of these things just rumbling around that can cause a lot of anger. I yeah. think if we go back to anger,
1: I think with with two things looking at leadership because I think it's it's such a big topic, and I think in the healthcare space. Leadership, because it's a quite an academic space and quite a hierarchical space, leadership is viewed to be intrinsic and not a trait that can be molded or taught. So I think two things within our lack of leadership is that there is a lack of intention and prioritization of leadership and leadership training at all yeah. levels. And because of that, there's a lack of support for leadership. So even if you want to be a good leader, it's very hard to be in the healthcare, the public healthcare space. And then I also think with leadership, appropriate displays of power, we have very pathological ways of showing power, and a lot of the time it's via aggression, via intimidating, offending, degrading, humiliating to exert power to show that I'm a leader. Mm. So I think those are the two central things that I would I would say at a macro level at an industry level need to change and they can change if they are prioritized because you can train people to be leaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really just can, saying you
2: can train people. Yeah. You can. It's a, it's a trait, it's a characteristic which you can learn.
1: Mm. Yeah. I just want a conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. <laughs> conflict resolution. How not to solve conflict in a war zone <laughs> by barking at people. Um <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> it's
0: possible. Would you believe it? I uh, just I just I just want to say the quotable you said again. You said we have very pathological ways of displaying power. That hit me in my soul. I was like, wow. And that's so true. And I think that that's part of the challenge with the molds we pick or the people we become is we actually have no clue how uh, contagious this pathological nature is and how easy it is for us to assume that that's the best way to assert ourselves mm. in the working environment. But actually it's dysfunctional, it's disruptive, and it's very counterproductive. So really just want to echo what you said there. That was that was deep.
1: And personal for all of <laughs> <laughs> In my soul, girl, I told you yeah. in my soul.
0: <laughs> v, for you, when you look at like, the industry, what are some of the things facing us at a bigger level, particularly in the space that you work with, you know, medical students?
2: I think you know when I talk to medical students now and within this covid space I think it's made it for them it's made it so much harder mm. because they do have all they already had all of these different expectations yeah being a, becoming a doctor is is a is a big thing yeah there's so much expectation that you know, family members have on you, you have on yourself. I think it's, I think it's, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot. And then you look at the world and it's uncertain. And I think those uncertainties often ripple into the medical students' lives and into their minds and that anxiousness and that feeling of overwhelm is something I feel In recent times that we have to tackle just at the at the ground level. Mm, You know, to be like, it's all right. You know, and for the lecturers and for the supervisors and for the like whoever is there that's like supervising these kids, or from the top, like to actually say universities to actually say, you know, like it's okay, let's 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 take, you know, a step back. Yeah. Let's try and plan so that the uncertainty around them doesn't become the uncertainty within them.
0: Another quote of think that's I think that's very valuable. Girl, so that the uncertainty around them does not become the uncertainty within them. What on earth with these quotes today, ladies? Wow. But it's true. No, that's just
1: life. That's a life quotable.
0: Listen.
2: Oh, thank you. But I'm just saying that like, for real. But I feel like a lot of people, a lot of students, a lot of doctors, everyone is feeling this uncertainty. Mm. And I think that's so, it's, we need to be, you know, like we need to be that certain in that uncertainty, you know, like be like, okay, we're supporting you for the, from the top mm.
0: to sure, yes, that let's
2: just, you know, Get our grounding, get our feet on the ground and then take it from there. And I don't think rushing through anything is, is going to be, and then we go back to that timeline, precious, Mm. where, you know, we don't all have to be in this timeline. Let's just, you know, process and be like, okay, what are we going to do next? And think about it. Because often Mm. when we do (laughs) things like that are like, I mean, the same with anger. If you do something just like that and you're angry and then you, make a choice, it's often not a good choice. Yeah. Often. It's not a good choice. Very few people can say they were angry and they made a brilliant choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, so so let's just take a step back. Let's get our emotions in order. Get, you know, like our feelings in order. Being self-aware of I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed. I'm, I'm not in the right space.
1: And mm. then taking it from there. And you know what you said now, like it actually triggered a thought in me because, you know, speaking about that timeline and the uncertainty, you know, for example, especially when we we're, you know, really thick, we we're really in the thick of COVID and the College of Medicine was just like, you no, know, we're taking, we're pausing, we are canceling certain exams or postponing till further notice. And there were so many people who became so stressed, and were just like, "This can't happen. What is going to happen to our futures?" And it was just like, you know, your timeline might be shifted by a few months. People are dying. People, it really did. Like people are actually dying in such large numbers. Colleagues are dying. Colleagues' families are dying. Like. Is it really, you can't, we can't take our blinders off for that one moment to just do this and see like what is happening in the world. But don't you think,
0: but don't you think Precious, it's because that was one of the only places they could control. Like I can't control people dying, but I can definitely study. (laughs) And I know (laughs) that I can study for filth. And after I study for filth, I know that I think it was a way of people trying to, trying to bag a win. You know, because so many others were, yeah. were, were, yeah. were were
1: were like, uncontrollable
0: I in the environment. What, what can I control? Yeah, I know so many people who were going through the worst, and in in any in a non pandemic setting, I think they definitely would have deferred, but said, "I'm writing," because that was something that they could focus on, they could fight for, and that they knew at least they could, they would be betting on themselves that. Um, at least in a even in a season where I think another part of it is even in a season where they really spent their time pouring out, this was one way to not neglect pouring into themselves into the vision they have for themselves into into who they think they'll become. But I definitely agree with you around the fact of not being able to then to to then honestly reflect on how that delay didn't take that goal away from them, and maybe that the the, the the decline in mental health was that severe that even a shift in a date, you know, rattled people to the point where it's, it's actually not that unnecessary. They didn't take away the opportunity to reach the goal. Exactly.
1: Me. They yeah. just yeah. were
0: prioritizing what needed to be prioritized. But I think it, part of it all was just not wanting to lose another thing.
1: Yes. And having to pour yourself in again and again. study again. So, For many people, yeah. it was
0: a reason to take leave. It was a reason to, to you know, to pause, to escape mm-hmm. um, from the reality of it all. So I think, it but, I, but I think your point very well taken, but your point well taken that the fact that we couldn't put it into perspective, I mean, similarly to the conversation we're having about anger around how, um, you know, the reaction around a dish in the sink, just hugely exaggerated against the reality of the fact that it's just a dish in the sink. In the same way, the reaction around the date being shifted, a disproportionate rage um, mm. because of a deeper issue, when actually it's just a date, and you're still gonna write. <laughs> you're
1: still gonna
2: write, you write when you feel fuse. that, like, when you're losing another thing. And I just, I just realized that there's like. It's a lot of grief that's around us obviously people are losing a lot of family members a lot of loved ones but they also have lost their lives like their 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 actual See? freedoms yeah they've lost all of that so that's also grief and I promise you I've told like a lot of people this I'm like it's okay to not feel okay because you've lost not only loved ones and family members or partners but you've lost your you know the way we used to live our lives was completely different. That's grief.
0: That's grief. Me.
2: I mean just going to a mall or going for coffee. I mean simple things like that. It's no longer a an okay space. There's like protocols. There's like masks. Do you have your sanitizer in your <laughs> bag? Um,
1: exactly. Do you have and you're risking it display? every time? You do Risking it all. Exactly. <laughs> you're like, you're am I gonna risk it? it all for this wedding. Yes. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the crazy. Thing. There we go.
2: You're very right, and that's that's how they feel. So that's like a constant state, a state of like being anxious. That yeah. state is there. Yeah.
1: That's actually a very good sure. perspective
0: on that note ladies I think it's important to round off this conversation maybe on a on an on a positive perspective because I think the conversation we had today was good but hard and I think it's going to make a lot of us have to reflect on how we process anger where our wounds are and really question how it makes us show up not just at the workplace but in our lives I think view what you said about like the reality of having lost our lives in some way—the lives we knew, the lives we married, the lives we were expiring for—whether that's a loss in terms of delay or, you know, real losses that have come with this pandemic—that's the reality I think we're all facing to some degree. So, my question to close tonight is not my usual question, but it's—I think it's aligned. And it's what—what what one wound have you healed that you're really proud that you—that you've
1: healed? as it pertains to working in this space? I will go back to the first one that I Mm. actually said, which was feeling invisible. I think I've actually, I'm on my way to healing it completely just by recognizing the fact that just because there are certain people who don't see me doesn't mean I don't have to see myself and it doesn't decrease my value. Because someone else doesn't see it. Yeah.
0: So good.
2: It is. I think it's, uh, for me, I think I was a very quiet person. I really was. The old me would never do something like this, would (laughs) never speak to people, would never. I think for me, it's building my resilience and Mm. always being that ever so resilient person that just took Everything that happened and was like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I can do better. Mm,
0: that's, that's amazing. Mine are intertwined. I think it's like a little bit of an infinity loop. <laughs> I also <laughs> would go back to my my first wound, you know. And I think I guess the wound there was largely around having to forgive. And I think that I took the task to forgive and I turned it into hoping for not just the people I had to forgive but for the sector at large and allowing that to fuel really anything and everything that I do, really not relenting that things can look better, not giving up on the fact that just because we don't see the sector we want now doesn't mean we can't build it with our words, with our investment in time, with the communities we create, and really just not giving up hope and being committed to forgiving the sector I see so we can build the sector I really desire so mm. for me that's the healing journey I' I'm constantly pursuing because I I think like you said a million paper cuts the wounds are persistent and and now that I'm not in clinical practice I mean they're probably secondary like secondary smoking hearing how people are wounded wounds me but but just not not relenting to forgive and to hope those would be mine I yeah. Thanks, ladies. Yours are good. (laughs) Thank you for another awesome episode. We did it. Episode five. Can't wait to catch up with you again next week. Thank you so much.
1: Bye. Bye.